welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 10, Episode 10, which is titled Makemba. The episode aired on December 11th, 2003. Lauren, what was going that week 19 years ago? The only week we get to do this until later this year. <laughs> Slow news week again, so we'll borrow a big one from next week. Uh, president Bush announces the successful capture of deposed Iraqi President Saddam Hussein. During a military operation codenamed Operation Red Dawn, Army Task Force 121 found Hussein hiding outside of his hometown of Tikrit in Iraq. Hussein surrendered peacefully, and his capture was met with praise from many countries worldwide. And we should have left then. Yep. Uh, the Last Samurai, the historical war drama starring Tom Cruise, Ken Watanabe, Billy Connolly, and Hiroyuki, Hiroyuki Sanada. Yeah. Great. Uh, debuts and takes the top spot at the box office. And Stand Up by Ludacris featuring Shauna is your new number one song for its first and only week. Am I one of like three people? Am I one of like three people who remembers The Last Samurai? I know it existed. I don't yeah, think I've ever I, seen I, it. I know it existed strictly because, like, I kind of have a vague memory of it existing. And also, too, again, I'm, like, a month, you know, where we're at, I'm, like, a month ahead of where I have been on 302010. So, like, they were just ah, talking okay. about this, like, a few weeks ago. And um, they were discussing how uh, this movie is actually they were all ready to shit on it. Like, they were all ready to go all in and, and be like, this sucks. This is stupid. You know, whatever. And uh, one of the hosts who actually lived in Asia at the time that movie came out was talking about how popular it was in Asia and how much people loved it and how it was like, you know, it was basically seen as like Hollywood's stamp of approval on that. It was so, you know, it was just funny how, you know, I, personally, I feel like 2003 has been watching all of like the big movie stars that, you know, were really big movie stars when we were kids, watching them go through their midlife crises all at once like we've had russell crowe being a pirate we've had we've had tom cruise being a samurai like it's just like all of the big movie stars of the time all seem to be collectively going through their midlife crisis in 2003 either way daniel what else was on at 8 p.m we got a friends rerun uh, at 8 30 back from the dead but don't get used to it good morning miami is rejoining the lineup for one last thursday roadie well i guess technically they will be on next Thursday as well, but uh, we won't be here because uh, we're taking about a month break. Not STT, ER. ER is taking about a month break uh, between this episode and the next. So next episode is early January of 2004. This is our last episode of December 2003. And we will be leaving Good Morning Miami behind in 2003 where they air their penultimate episode, Her Place or Mine. Uh, and then we at, at 9 o'clock... At 9 o'clock, Will and Grace with the episode Fanalo, and at 9.30, Scrubs with My Dirty Secret. Uh, this week's episode had 19.7 million viewers tuning in, directed by Chris Chulock doing his 25th out of 43. Previous ones of his from this season include Freefall, Dear Abby, and The Lost, and written by John Wells doing his 26th out of 32 as a writer, and previous ones of his from this season include The Lost and Now What? Um, we got no Susan or Chen this week. And I got to say, I went through and did the math. I got to say, everybody other than Carter in this episode that isn't Susan or Chen, for Susan and Chen get the week off just wholesale. But it's a pretty light week for everybody who isn't Carter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, because I went and did the math. What it, let's, I went and did the math, and I counted up all of the new footage in this episode that isn't directly part of the Carter uh, through line. Do we want to take mm -hmm. a guess on the over under for num amount of new footage in minutes and seconds? Uh, I'm going to say, what was it, Lizzie? I said five minutes. I'm going to say seven. Lizzie, I, well, you're technically, if we go by prices, right rules, you're both wrong Fuck. Uh, because it's, it's closest without going over. You both went over. <laughs> there is only, bum, 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 bum. there is only four and a half minutes of new footage in this episode that isn't a flashback from a previous episode that's they just reused clips from a previous episode or they didn't reuse footage that they use like at, out yeah, of that, the loop yeah out of that four and a half minutes 
three and a half are right here at the top of the episode. <laughs> so like there's a minute of new footage spaced out, sprinkled around around the, the remaining 40 minutes of this episode. It's pretty uh, pretty light duty week for every, which you know it makes sense. It's Christmas time; they want to give everybody some extra time off, and also too, Noah Wiley's been sitting on his ass at home for the last two months, so they they're gonna make him work for a week. So we gotta and, have uh, a little bit of a clip show this week. A little bit of a clip show this week, yeah. Uh, but I like the way they do it. This is this is essentially giving everybody what they wanted, you know, regarding the the Africa episodes. Everybody always says, "Oh, I want to see what's also happening at County at the same time." Well, fine. Here you go. You're getting what you asked for. And it's fine. <laughs> you know, like it's it's exactly what I thought it would be. Uh, but our previously on is brought to us by Carter. And we start with a beautiful, gross, snowy ambulance bay as Abby is uh, waddling into work to the dulcet tones of Let It Snow. Uh, we're recording this the day after Christmas, by the way. <laughs> so like, And very, there is no snow. Right. And there's no snow. Yeah, it it's was, been foggy as shit every day here, all day here in Pennsylvania. It was 55 and raining yesterday here in Minnesota, so Mm -hmm. not great. Uh, She walks into uh, the triage area or the the chairs area to a Santa puking his guts out. Uh, Sam mentions that it's Christmas Eve, and Carrie gives Abby the rundown of all the cases before leaving and never being seen again the rest of this episode. Real light work for Laura Innes. And uh, Frank, Frank with one of the... the, Like I said, there's not much to choose from for... uh, uh, highlights for the rest of the cast, but we do get a, a good one from Frank here that says that Carrie's going home to wait for the ghost of Christmas past, which is a, an excellent little zinger. Uh, we see Neela thanking Gallant for a CD that he bought her, and Frank is uh, passing out some presents that Carter sent to everyone. I want to note here, Neela looks so uncomfortable because you can tell it was one of those situations where it was like, oh, I didn't know we were getting each other anything. Great. Yeah. yeah An it's... avocado. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's a little a little bit of uh, unrequited affection at this point still, I think. Uh, Gallant clearly has a much bigger crush on Neela than Neela does on Gallant. But, uh, the, so Frank is passing out presents to Carter sent everyone. He says that a mask that Luca got is for satanic ritual sacrifice of farm animals because he's Frank and he has to be the worst. Uh, it wouldn't be Frank if he wasn't racist. Right. And he gives Abby hers. Uh, it's a tribal shaman box. Uh, so, and as, as Lauren alluded to, there's kind of a time loop thing happening here. So we will circle back to all of this stuff later in the episode, but uh, Gallant then puts on his CD. It's a Sikh rap song, which uh, the tune of which might not be the exact same song, but the tune of which is very popular on TikTok. <laughs> like, I feel like I hear this song a lot used in TikToks and things filtered through Instagram, of course, because I'm a millennial. Uh, but yeah, I feel like I hear this music quite a bit, even if it's not the exact same lyrics we are hearing here. Uh, and they have our, they're having a little dance party here in Admit. Um, Gallant and... Uh, Neela are dancing together, and we see uh, Val, uh, Gallant's sister, in the background there. Once again, time loop thing. That'll that'll come back around a little bit later. I want to note, during their dance party, Neela and Gallant have excellent chemistry. Just throwing that out there. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, Neela's, uh, like, yes. busting a move there. Like, she's she's actually a very good dancer. Yep. I like uh, Gallant with the hover hands. Very polite. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> good boy. Uh, but we go to Carter in Africa opening a present with our with our not mystery woman, but mystery woman, technically, if you're watching this brand new uh, from Freefall. Uh, I Kim, she gave him a bracelet that was her father's and he gave her some items of his from when he was little, along with a plane ticket to Chicago to come back with him. And he says, oh, I want our baby to be born in America. Dun, dun. And now if we have hit my least favorite part of the Africa storyline, the soap opera part. (laughs) Yeah. And that reveal is met with bangs. We come in with bangs just like that baby. Um, Oh, and then we get a flashback to seven months earlier and it's right when Luca's plane is flying off um, at the end of season nine. Right. Uh, Roughly. No, that's uh, that's the very beginning of this season. Yeah. It's episode uh, two. The the lost. You're right. Thank you. Um, And then it carries from episode two into kind of what Carter was doing after Luca flew off. And it's him working in the clinic and he's training one of the new doctors in town with some first day shock. And we learn that he's going to go to a party or a shindig 
with um some people later that night but nothing serious is this the the most like chronological time that has ground that has been covered in the first let's say half of a season like we've we've established in this episode we've covered seven months between episode two and episode 10 that does not seem that does not seem like it's possible and yet here we are I think it's because of the bastardization they do with kind of when that first part happens. Yeah. They're playing fast and loose a little bit with when everything happened and when Luca came back. Yeah, because usually, I mean, on, on especially in the early seasons, like on average, a season would cover about a year of calendar mm-hmm. time. Or, or at the very least, like 10 months, 9, 10 months. Because it would usually go from like the end of the summer to like the beginning of the following summer. And like... This this is like we're covering supposedly we're covering seven months in the space of eight episodes. Slow down just a little bit. Yep. Uh, and let's go to our first audio clip here. Uh, we let's hope you're ready for some discourse, people. Let's listen to a party. No matter whether the, the conquered claims that the conquered will be better off. Yeah. The conqueror brings with him the seeds of his own destruction. Heiner Muller. Mueller. Right. The Americans are like sheep. I don't understand why they aren't writing in the streets of Palm Springs or Atlanta or... Atlanta, Todd. Two T's in Palm Springs. Nobody rides in Palm Springs. They're too busy playing golf. You can't argue that democracy hasn't been a positive force for change throughout the world in the last... What, Hiroshima, Chile, Vietnam? Hungary, Poland, Romania. Coca-Cola, Marlboro. McDonald's. Oh, mon dieu, what I would give for a quarter pounder of cheese right now. That's exactly what I'm talking about. American commercialism is ruining, you know, music, film, indigenous culture all around the world. Listen, from what I've heard of uh, French rock and roll, you're well on your way to ruining French music all on your own. I thought this was supposed to be a celebration. Okay. I don't so much mind American intervention in Iraq. The Bathists were rapists and mass murderers. Here, here. But I do mind America callously dismissing legitimate international concerns, just trampling 50 years of carefully crafted diplomacy in pursuit of its own political and economic interests. Mikemba Lacasso, Dr. John Carter. Kim works with the Ministry of Health and her friend Peter. I have no idea what Peter does. What do you do, Peter? Ministry of Finance. Kim's setting up an ARV demonstration project for AIDS patients. Has everybody already ordered already? After the WTO ruled that poor countries could ignore drug patents, India developed a generic. Only cost $200 a year per patient. Money we also don't have. What is your alternative, Peter? Just to watch 30 million Africans die in the next 10 years. If we can demonstrate that these programs work, then we can appeal to the UN, to rich countries, to our own governments. I think I just heard someone playing our song. Imperialist Yankee dollars ride to the rescue. It's nice to know we're still needed for something around here, isn't it? Oh, Peter, stop pouting. Let's dance. So I want to note something else here with the timeline that may be fucked up. This placard said seven months, right? Yeah. Later on in the episode, way later on in the episode, Kem and Carter mentioned that they've only known each other for like six weeks. Well, I think there's another time skip that isn't addressed because he goes from, in the space of one scene to the next, he goes from being episode two Carter to Jesus You're Carter. Right. So there's You're another right. unspoken time skip in there that like okay. is indeterminate, which I guess is what they're I... kind of leaning on to make this timeline work. 
Um, Thank you. I, if I had, to, I had if I had to guess, I would say based on how like comfortable he is in the clinic by the time we see him after the the flashback, I'm gonna guess it's been at least a couple of months. Okay. Yeah, you're fair. There. You raise a good point because yeah. I I just listened to that again and I was like, wait a minute. But yeah, the as as I think a listener points out in the listener responses that that is another thing that that we should address. I mean, we addressed it a little bit in in Freefall when he made his like, you know, kind of Jason Voorhees appearance out of nowhere. Um, that this Carter is, you know, now sporting the, the bearded look again, and it's apparently the, the superior version of the beard, but they're really not doing themselves any favors with the white savior narrative <laughs> by having him look more and more like Jesus <laughs> as we go along here. Uh, it's, it's really not doing any favors for defending them against the white savior narrative. I mean, they, I, I feel like here, here to us imperialism substantively. I feel like they do a good job of like, pushing back on that, like making it clear that the white savior thing isn't going to fix any of this. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the, the, the whole like shit on America with like they more so maybe than in any other Africa episode up to this point, they have an ax to grind <laughs> in this episode. Like they are, they are really uh, going to make their point. Like there's not a whole lot of subtlety in this episode. I'm not disagreeing with any of it. I'm not saying any of it's wrong. I'm just saying that they have an ax to grind. There is a part of it though where he's when he's trashing the French music where I'm like, did they just let him ad lib this? Because he just already sounds drunk. <laughs> yeah, well, there's the French. Mu- there's a couple of French digs in here, which is very 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's that I think is much more of that like finger on the pulse cultural awareness kind of thing than them having any sort of real heavy duty sentiment yeah. towards the French one way or another. It's just like people were making jokes about France in 2003. Uh, they only they only serve freedom fries in the writers' room of VR. <laughs> yeah. I try to forget that happened, but anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Uh, Carter is we, working in the clinic. Well, we oh. do get uh, there, there's not a whole lot of uh, oh hey it's that people of this episode. Oh like, right, yes. Uh, but I tried to highlight the ones that I could. Uh, the the one notable one in semi notable, I guess, really stretching the definition in uh, this scene is Peter, who's Kem's friend. Uh, and who we will never see again outside of this scene. Like, he, he will be referred to, but never seen again. He's played by actor Jacques Smith, uh, who, in clip form, sounds quite a bit like Gallant doing a bit of an offensive accent. Like, when I, <laughs> when I listened to that clip without the benefit of, the, <laughs> without the, benefit of like, the visuals, I was like, wow, this sounds a lot like Sharif Atkins with questionable accent work. Uh, but Jacques Smith here, who appears in stuff like CSI Miami, American Masters, and Oz. All right, I apologize. Now moving us on. Um, Carter's working in the clinic, and um, his patient from earlier, who I forgot to mention, still hasn't improved after 10 days. Um, I think that might have been part of the audio clip that got suffered. But anyway, so he's had a patient, still isn't doing very well. Um, He finally is going to get a spinal tap because medicine isn't working they need to see what else is going on yeah they do a Uh, there is a brief thing i can't remember if it was in that clip or not but there is a brief thing where they're going through all the patients that are there and the the one um other person somebody else is it's when he's it's when he's training that new doctor that i mentioned that's where i fucked up the the new doctor is like hey don't you want to do a spinal tap on this guy and he's like we don't have the resources to do that we have to save that for the sicker ones and he's like well what about this guy? He's just going to get sicker. And he's like, well, we'll wait 10 days and see if he's still sick. And, you know, so this is the the conclusion of that. He has gotten worse. So now they're going to do the spinal tap. My bad. Um, but Carter lets this man's wife, Celine, know that her, um, her husband will die soon, unfortunately, from AIDS. And she is six months pregnant. And he asks if the family has been tested, and she's kind of like, well, what's the point of knowing if you, we can't be treated? Like, it's a death sentence. There's not there's not treatment. Um, but it turns out the whole family is positive. Mm. And, like, it's another one of these, like, bleak visual, you know, there's a lot of bleak visuals in this episode, but the actor who's playing the father, like, the husband, the patient, uh... Like, they show him several times, like, kind of in various states of deteriorating condition. And just the, the, it's, it's hard to watch, but it is a very, I have to give credit to the performance. Like, the, the guy is very good at doing the thousand yard stare and, like, seeming like he's not there when he obviously is. And, like, it's just, whew, it is a haunting image. Um, 
but the mother uh, slash wife here, uh, who we later find out its name is Celine, um, she will kind of be a, a th- consistent throughout uh, through line patient throughout this episode. We will revisit her several times. She is played by actress uh, Moshiri Machigawa. It's your guess is as good as ours. It's you know, uh, she has appeared in stuff like The River, Zero Tolerance, and Drum. Like I said, it's a as you might imagine with uh, these singular through lines and out of our usual comfort zone type episodes. Like there's not that much to pull from here with uh, Oh Hey It's That People. Yep, and then uh, Carter goes and takes the case to Kem because of her project, and he wants to get this. He wants to get Celine onto the anti anti retroviral project, and she runs him through the criteria for suitable candidates and how fucking strict this committee is. She's like, I can't just put her on. I only have room for you know, two hundred patients total, and we're like working through this list of people already on a wait list. This woman isn't just going to get to the front of the line. Um, and she shows him the ward of people either waiting to be treated or people who have already been accepted. And he, again, this is one of those reality slaps Carter in the face moments where he is just absolutely gobsmacked. Just like he was the first time he saw one of the refugee camps back in last season. Mm-hmm. Then we go back to county briefly. Lucas signing for an AIDS drug cocktail package that's for $1,200. And Luca is getting paid back by Carter. Uh, packing up with some Halloween candy. A reminder, we are back seven months, so Ish. who, who yeah. the fuck knows Ish. where we are here. Uh, Sam asked for him because of a patient, and it really threw Lauren off and me that she asked if he if asked, oh, are you Kovach? Yeah. They, well, they totally they, fucked they, me they up. Like, they, they don't really hold your hand that much through. I mean, they do to some degree. Like, So I guess, I guess now that I'm like doing the math in my head, the time skip between seeing Lucas plane leave and when he's back, you know, in the in the clinic up to speed must be five months. Because if we started the episode at Christmas Eve and it's Halloween, that's two months. So the time difference between Luca leaving Africa and when we see Carter first in the clinic must be a five month time skip there. I don't know. It's just they're, they're doing a lot of that. I, I wish they've done this several times now with these time skippy episodes. They don't commit to the bit. <laughs> like, I need you to commit to the bit. I need you to tell me in plain English every time there is a time skip so that I can fucking keep up. Because, like, they'll do it, like, half the time. And then the other half of the time, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way. Uh, We're going to give you these context clues, like the Halloween decorations. Right. But again, that broke me when Sam was like, are you Kovach? I was like, what the fuck? You just, like, yeah. he just had a whole thing about you and his and your son. Clearly, you're not the only one because that was listed in the IMDb goofs section for this episode, that that was a thing that they fucked up. And I'm like, I know this the show makes mistakes sometimes, but, like, that would be a pretty egregious one if we've just gone through two whole episodes of, you know, the Alex and Luca show. And all of a sudden, Sam doesn't know who Luca is. Like, that would be a pretty uh, pretty egregious mistake. Willful ignorance after he just fed her kid ice cream. Yeah. Uh, but we then... Uh, so, they do a lot of these kind of, like, quick, trans- like, handoff transitions where, like, you'll see somebody at County touching something and then you'll see Carter in Africa touching that same thing to indicate that, like, more time has passed or that, you know, the, the in this case, that a package has been delivered. This package arrives to Carter. Lizzie signed a little note for him along with all the candy. Boy, we got to hurry up and fucking establish that uh, friendship so that Lizzie will have somebody to talk to when it's time for her to go. <laughs> you can almost like feel them frantically going like, holy shit, we've killed everybody that she's ever had a conversation with. Like, we have to we have to do something. <laughs> uh, he uh, He's getting kind of playfully teased by the other women at the table uh, when... Uh, he's reading these notes that he's getting notes from this woman. The one, the uh, Angelique, I think is her name. The other mm-hmm. doctor, she she calls him out rightfully and is like, "Oh, Lizzie, I bet she's a blonde." And she he corrects her and he's like, oh, "Actually, she's a redhead." Um, hey, I am a blonde right now. Hey, you are a blonde right now. On brand. Uh, the first of us to ever be blonde. And that's deep cut, very deep cut. <laughs> Uh, but so, uh, the other woman at the table here is the, I think she is, she has some kind of accent. Is she Australian or like she has the, I didn't notice one, but then again, when do I notice important things? Yeah. She's a special specialist in labor and delivery. 
and so he uh, drags her off to go see the uh, his patient from earlier, Celine. Um, we find out that Celine is still breastfeeding, which is of course endangering the baby, and uh, the new doctor here explains why powdered formula from UNICEF isn't an option. And Carter goes through the statistics here of three percent chance of HIV. There's a three percent chance of uh, of um, transmitting HIV from the breast milk versus a 50% chance of dysentery from dirty river water. I want to note, this is a part where Carter's got a bit of white savior and she puts him in his place. Cause he's like, she, she doesn't have to breastfeed. He, she can just use the formula. We'll get it. It's free from UNICEF. And this woman's like, no, because they need water. Water is dirty river water. No, mm, yeah, <laughs> just absolutely not. There's quite a bit of that in this episode, which, yeah. you know, as a, as, as somebody who's, you know, spent four years kind of, like, overanalyzing every d- action of this man, it is kind of nice to watch him finally, like, get called on his shit, you know? <laughs> like, get fucking wrecked, Carter. Over and over again, like, you know, he keeps trying to do the cowboy thing, and it keeps fucking blowing up in his face this episode, and I, I that was a little cathartic. Right, uh, we've got another big shindig with drinks. Seems like they party a lot over here, maybe. I mean. It's either that or be depressed. You? I mean, I suppose, yeah. Uh, everyone is still harping on American pol- uh, politics, and Carter's like, eh, I voted for the other guy. Who says you want us to fund your misadventures? One of the political assholes that's just being... David not a political assholes, they're right, but one of the confrontational people who's, like, yelling about American politics. I'm assuming it's David because they tell David to shut the yeah, hell up. Uh, probably. Carter and Cam are both here solo. R.I.P. Peter, I guess. Like, into the shadow room with you, sir. Uh, Kem's patients uh, only on her service only have to take two pills a day as opposed to the seven that Amer- people in America have to take. And Carter asked Kem if she's ever been to American Amer- America. Um, hey, have you ever had American an American inside? I you? was waiting um, for it. <laughs> um, they go dance and are clearly still talking at closing time where we get our next audio clip here. Carter tells Kem they've got Celine on some HIV drugs. What happened? Uh, what happened to your patient? Her mother, HIV, and the kids. Celine. Oh, she's doing great. You got her to a VCT center? No, I got her on ARVs. Anti-retroviral drugs? Yeah. CD4 is over 400. Where'd you get the drugs? I had a uh, friend of mine write a prescription back home and ship them over. You smuggled them in? No. Used FedEx. What? What? She's doing great. Drugs entering the country have to be registered and approved by the Ministry of Health. Well, you didn't have the resources to include her in your study, so. AZT, 3TC? Yeah, no fin of her. And that cost you $1,000 a month? $1,200. Where did you get the money? <laughs> um, I paid for it. Yourself? I could treat four patients for a year with what you're spending on your patient every month. It took me two years to get all the approvals necessary to import the drugs, arrange the funding and staff, and you're jeopardizing it by pulling out your checkbook and sending them in by post. Am I jeopardizing your work? It's not sustainable. What happens to that poor woman when you leave? Are you going to keep shipping her thousands of dollars worth of drugs for the rest of her life? Uh, Yeah, I was planning on it, yeah. And who's going to monitor her progress, make sure she remains compliant? You know, what if one of her kids gets sick and she well, decides that's... to split her meds with the child? It happens! Or if she moves back to Kivo, is your Mr. FedEx going to chase all over the Eastern Congo, cracking down your well, one what patient? What is going to happen to your patients when your funding ends? You cannot start a patient on drugs without guaranteeing you can maintain a supply. Well, and you can guarantee a supply? Yes. I'm trying to show my government and the international community that ARB therapy works here. And when they see our success, they'll realize we can save millions of lives. Just trying to save one. One's not enough. You want me to walk you home? <laughs> There's several, I good, s- several good line reads in there. I love the, you smuggled them in? No, FedEx. <laughs> I love to the uh, the way that he says, "Oh, she's doing great," is with the same 
vocal cadence that he yelled after Delamico, is this about that rapist? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Which I completely forgot about that line, so thank you. Like, we just need, somewhere towards the end, we just need help from the listeners to just make a best of Carter. The, the super cut, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, she's doing <sighs> great. And he really does have, you know, once again, shout out to Noah Wiley for having great comedic timing. That At the very end there with, you want me to walk you home? <laughs> so... And the and also the the really impotent way that he says, "Oh, I'm just trying to save one." Like <laughs> when she's like, "I could save thousands of people doing this the proper way," but you're on some cowboy shit trying to save one person, and he's like, "Well, I'm just trying to save one," like, which happens again later in the episode too. Right? Yeah. And like, I mean, now's as good a time to, as any to like start this discourse because it's gonna be around for a while. But like. This is a big part of it's not the only reason, but this is a big part of the reason why people don't like Kim, like why why Facebook users at large don't like Kim. And she's a passionate woman of color. I mean, that I mean, if you really want to drill down on it, that's what I um, ultimately that's not what I was assumed it was. I mean, that is what it ultimately, I think, comes down to in the long term, because, you know, for better or worse, this is the uh, despite what some ambiguity in the finale would have you believe this is the end game for Carter. Like this is, this is, this is final, you know, the final um, pairing for Carter. And I feel like what irritates people about it without getting into like the, that whole part of it, which we'll get there. Trust me, because that, that is a big part of it. But like, they just don't like that. She's right. Like they don't like that. She calls Carter on his white savior cowboy shit and that there's no real defense for it. Like, she's 100% right here. And, yeah, it makes him look silly, and it makes him look impotent by kind of comparison. Um, And, like, that has never really happened to him before. Like, he has always been framed as, like, even when he was, like, at his worst, you know, like, coming off the stabbing and the addiction and all that other stuff, like he was still seen as like this tra- like this tragic figure that needed to be uplifted. Whereas here they just kind of make him look like a dipshit. Like they kind of just make him look like he's out of his depth and like not in a fun, quirky new med student kind of way. Like we saw in back in season one where it was like, yeah, he's out of his depth, but he's a kid. Like he's, he's in a new environment. He doesn't know any better. And that's true to some degree here too. But like, I don't know, like this is just the beginnings of like, I'm not saying it's fair or that it's right, but I think this is a big part of why people dislike Kim even from the very beginning is that she doesn't do what all the other women in Carter's life have done before, which is just go, isn't he just so special? Like, and just He's so dreamy. Right. I want to point out something else here that they may not like, which I actually find refreshing, which I'm going to get us there with, with this next piece and then tie it in. So she um she goes and visits Carter at the clinic looking for Celine um and turns out that she's already on the ward meeting with her and Angelique is also pissed at him for shipping in the drugs. He's in trouble with everybody and uh, Kem is enrolling her in the program because she says I met this rich American who can afford to commit $15,000 a year to my study for the next 5 years. And she goes, "You can, right?" Carter's like, yeah. And she, so she gets funding for 40 additional new patients with Carter's commitment. This is also what I want to say. Everybody says that Kem's a gold digger, that she's only out for Carter's money. I am going to argue here that people are more mad that it's she can do better with Carter's money. That it's not these mm-hmm. one-off grand gestures without strategy. That she is actually, she wants to take that money and do organized good for it. Which leads into the end game thing that Carter chooses. I think. I think he's he learns a little bit from her and how he allocates this money down the road. Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah, I, I just don't like her because I think the storyline is stupid. But, but that's different. Yeah, and but I it, it's I think it's unquestionable, at least in my opinion, that and this is jumping way ahead that that she <laughs> is she is I think unquestionably good for the character. Like she is the the version of the character that we are left with at the end of all of this is better than the the version of the character that we got uh or that we that we start with here um mm-hmm. you know like 
yes, this character has more or less, you know, recovered from all of, uh, uh, I shouldn't say all of, but a lot of the emotional trauma and physical trauma of stabbing and his, um, um, his grandmother dying and all the other stuff. Like he, he's, he's been through a lot in the last few years. And as I've said many times this season, I think we could have very easily just left him there in Africa and, and letting him kind of find himself off screen. And then we have him, you know, return towards the end of the show to, to, you know, to wave along with everybody else. Um, but I think that part of the magic of him still being around, I think can be directly attributed to the chem character and what that character does for the fully realized version of John Carter. And like, it, she makes him grow up and like she makes him see things in a different way that is less you know about like you said these grandiose gestures that are very nice and very well-meaning but ultimately kind of hollow when compared to you know actually like she said she can take you know take that money and, and enroll dozens of new patients in this program that will get consistent ongoing treatment versus paying for one lady's drugs one time yeah you can save 40 people instead of one person if you allocate this smart. Right, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the, the gold digger thing has always struck me as odd, too, and I think it's a, I think it's just another accusation that sort of gets lobbed to distract from the real issue, which is, like Lizzie said, there's there's some social... <laughs> there's some social uh, ethnic... It's a dog whistle. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a dog whistle to distract from the fact that people are a little upset that Carter didn't end up with a blonde. You know, and it's, <sighs> you're just, you're wrong. I'm sorry. You're wrong. Yeah. And then we, uh, <clears throat> we go back to admit it's around Thanksgiving. We see the nurses looking over all those old pictures that they found and we get the whole, oh, have you heard from Carter? How he's do? how is he doing thing? And Abby saying, oh, I don't know. So I, we are officially back. We're officially back full circle. Um, yeah. almost. This, this brings us up to, to free fall, which, yep. um, I was, I, I guess because I, I was so distracted by the helicopter stuff in that episode, I didn't notice the horrifying uh, John Carter Photoshop in that, where, like, they show the group shot that's supposed to be from Christmas, like, two years prior, I think, and it's got everybody in it, and they're all doing the thing, and, you know, Noel Wiley wasn't around for that production cycle. He was, you know, at home with his family. So they had to Photoshop Carter into that picture, and they clearly just had a stand-in stand there and then put Noah Wiley's head on the stand-in, and his head is like one and a half times the size of everyone else in the picture. <laughs> it's really funny. Like, go back Look, and freeze-frame it. It is. It's a blink-and-you-miss-a-thing, but I beg all of you to go back and freeze-frame it because it's really funny in retrospect. I will do my best to remember to do it after we get off this call. And my mom's going to be like, what are you doing on our TV? I'll be like, don't worry about it. It's science. Um, you must. But, well, yes. But then, uh, like Daniel said, this brings us up to free fall where we see Carter and Kem are cuddled up in bed. And he asks her why she came back to the Congo after she graduated from school. And we learn that her father was tragically killed and she had to come back to settle his affairs and she was inspired to continue doing good work after, you know, his life's mission. Um, and then we go over to the clinic. Carter and a little boy are doing adorable wheelchair races in the hall. This is the best little one shot that we've mm -hmm. seen is them just lapping through the set. And then Kim finds him and tells him that Celine didn't show up at the clinic. Uh, she hadn't been in for two weeks after her husband died. They go to the camp to ask her around for her. And Carter is once again white people shocked again about and horrified by the conditions and how many people are in the camp. Uh, they find Celine and her kids and her son has been coughing and is very tired, uh, short of breath as well. And she didn't want to make the trip until to the clinic until her son was feeling better. Uh, but she ha confirms that she has in fact been taking her meds, uh, but her son likely has pneumonia. <laughs> I love the, the like, Kem showing up and it's a little bit of like well 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions like he was so confident that like this was all gonna work out it was all gonna be fine and she shows up and she's like yeah that thing I told you was gonna happen it happened like I haven't seen her for two weeks like you fucking idiot 
there's also a little bit i think a little bit of ropey cgi in there too when they do the whole uh carter looking out at how many people are there and all the other things mm-hmm. i i don't think all of that is real <laughs> like i think there's you know this is this is yet another one of the episodes where hawaii is standing in for uh west africa uh so you know we haven't we haven't quite hit uh the the that'll be the the second go around in africa when they actually start filming in africa um but we then cut over to a scene of Kim uh, crying out in the rain. Uh, they talk about the little boy's prognosis, and she tells him that they can't give him the ACV meds because uh, they don't have enough with uh, their program. He's, again, still doing the Carter thing where he's like, oh, I can, you know, grind it up and I can figure out dosage for a small kid. Like, he's still not getting it. Like, he's still... Still cowboying it. Right. He's still convinced that if he just saves this one little boy, it will solve all of the, like big problems with the system and with just the overwhelming nature of the need or he just can't see the forest through the trees that it's bigger than this right and it's bigger than him like it's big like he himself cannot stop this this onslaught you know and he illustrates this in the most impotent display (laughs) of just fragile it's not even fragile masculinity that's not even the right word here but it's just like fragile like i'm not important enough to fix this where he literally goes out into the rain and screams at the top of his lungs just out of frustration that that kem's not doing enough i don't know if it's that he for this boy i don't know if it's that she's not doing enough or if it's just that he's kind of starting to get that the problem is bigger than both of them and that they can't save everyone and they can't possibly, you know, fix this themselves. And it's, I think it's, I don't know. You tell me, like, it, it, I think it's supposed to be a little bit of this dramatic moment of, you know, him, the the boiling over of the frustration and everything, but he just looks like a petulant child to me. Like he just looks like he's, he's just throwing a temper tantrum at this point. And she calls him out on it. He's like, you should yell at your president and your government. And he just continues to howl about it. And Mood. Curse the world. Oh, no. Right. He's like, I grew a beard and everything. Like, I'm the I'm the chosen one. Like, I'm the savior. No, you're not. Uh, well, he shows we, we cut to the next scene where he shows up at the uh, Red Cross station to see Mary McCormick, who has been relegated to, like, fourth fiddle in this episode like Mm -hmm. she's she's essentially a doctor exposition in this episode she shows up Mm -hmm. she shows up to give right she She brings the stuff she shows up to give helpful context early in the episode and then did i read this wrong or is there an implication that there was a relationship at some point in here that they just glossed over and i think like i think yes because like he takes her to the party at the beginning of the season or at the beginning of the episode and then like they're kind of side-eyeing each other in like a little flirty yeah so i think they may have had at least like a flirtation going on if not more than that right so yeah so there's like this whole like undercurrent thing of like there was a a relationship or a, a fling here but it's kind of over with now he's kind of moved on to kim and so she's kind of giving him the cold shoulder but he's you know still trying to get some shit done so he's like asking her if she can pick some things up for him uh when she's in uh kinshasa like he wants uh oxygen canisters because they're running low on oxygen in the clinic uh supplemental oxygen not you know just air they've got air (laughs) but you know they don't have they don't have pressurized oxygen to give to the patients and uh he also wants her to get some christmas decorations because they want to do like a little christmas celebration for the patients which is nice um, but you can tell just kind of from her attitude here that she's kind of done with his shit and like, is yeah, she's, she's like tinsel. Really? I'm going to make a run for like important shit and you want me to bring tinsel? Yeah. But again, that's tinsel sucks anyway. It gets everywhere. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> all right, Anakin. It's, uh, it's again, uh, another example of him feeling like, Oh, the the one gesture, the next big gesture, that'll be the thing that solves everything, you know, like, and it, it, I do think it represents a little bit of growth for him, though, that like he is at least commuting his grand gestures into something a little bit more productive and a little bit less um, like self-serving, you know, like he mm-hmm. he's like 
he's thinking about things in a, a less selfish way. Mm-hmm. So I'll give him credit for that. Now he's back home with Kem. He's wrapping up some Christmas presents, and shoot, and Kem says, "Oh, who's Abby?" And he's like, "Uh, I'm a friend." And Kem Kem says she's a little bit jealous, because um, of course, Abby has to be. I don't know. There's, I feel like there's something to deal with the writers, and there's a joke there, and but I'm not awake enough to. I think it's just the cliche that any woman is intimidated by her person's ex. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, tells him that she thinks she could be pregnant. And he's like, oh, how? When? And he's like, oh, yeah. Because Carter's a precious little moron. It's like, dude, you're a, you're a doctor. Condoms might be, I imagine condoms might be hard to come by. You are a doctor. No, they're doctors. They would have what they... You, you are a doctor, sir. Do I need to draw you a picture of how... Like you, you you know how like you you know how this happened. I think it was more like the when, and then it, it dawned on him. It's like, oh yeah, that time we did have unprotected sex. Oh. Um, and now and now we know why Lizzie wasn't in the writers' room. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Literally the exact same thing. No one on Grey's Anatomy knows about condoms. That that's the cause. That's the cause. Everybody of keeps getting pregnant. Exactly. Uh, he's surprised to find that he's not upset about it, though, even though they've only been dating six weeks. That's where I get that weird smell check. Yeah, that's I don't I don't like this. I don't I, I don't like this at all. I forgot. Like I feel like that time is wrong. Of it, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't like it. Fuzzy timelines and like just uh, that's just such a bad idea in general. Like. And, I, and I'm not saying I want her to, like, go run off and have an abortion. Like, I want her to do what she wants to do. But, like, you're both... Both of these characters are intelligent enough to know that this is a bad idea. Like, you're both... Like, you can... Two things can be true. Like, you could still be in love with each other and still have this enduring relationship. And you can also recognize the reality of the fact that uh, having a kid together after only knowing each other for six weeks is a bad move. Like, don't do that. I just, eesh. and I, I, and again, like, it, like, like Lizzie said at the top, like it kind of leans into more of that soap opera style of writing where it's like, if it's convenient for the story, we're going to make our characters stupid. And like, you could say whatever you want about Carter. Like Carter is a lot of things, but I don't think Carter is stupid. And I definitely think Kim isn't stupid. So, like, I just find it really hard to believe that neither one of them would have a, a moment of clarity where they would just go, what the fuck am I doing? Like, hold on. Let's let's take a step back here and think about Especially this. Especially Kem, who wants to, like, continue this program. Oh, I haven't found it for the next five years. And, we'll get and there. And spoilers for the end of the episode. <laughs> puts up, like, a tenth of a second of a fight about that. And then is like, oh, you're right. Like, ugh, that part I hate. But yeah, then to continue us going full circle, we loop back to Abby getting into the ER for Christmas Eve. And here we see Val greeting Pratt and waiting for Gallant. Fine, great. An, an, inter- Af- an interstitial scene that takes up 23 seconds of the four and a half minutes of new footage in this episode and is sandwiched in between two reused pieces of footage. Abby walking into the ER and talking to Sam and then Gallant and Neela dancing with each other. They sandwiched in this little teeny tiny two, you know, blink and you miss it dialogue between uh, Gallant, I mean, uh, Pratt and Valerie. I just, like, yeah. I applaud the effort. Yeah. Uh, then we go back to Africa, and Carter is working with Celine's son. He's not getting better, but they're hopefully at least making him comfortable. And surprise, they actually got a ton of Christmas decorations, including the grossest, rattiest Santa hat ever. I really hope... Yeah, it's worse than Frank's Santa. I was going to say, I, re- like, I, really hope, I really hope that it's the same Santa hat, uh, for, or at least from the same Santa suit that uh, Abe and Ruby described as being a uh, bag of mothballs from the back of the Warner Brothers lot. <laughs> like, I really hope that it's the same uh, same Santa hat. Uh, but in this little room here where they're all kind of going around and looking at all the Christmas decorations and looking at all the presents and kind of like, oh, this is so cool. We can have Christmas now. This does mark the last appearance of Angelique. Uh, that character will not be seen again. Uh, so hope you enjoyed her. Yep, and then this, though, is where we find out Carter got a bunch of presents from the ER staff to surprise the clinic patients. They did kind of a Toys for Tot thing. 
Um, and he also gets a letter from work and a letter from a law firm back home. The law firm letter is marked urgent. Hmm. We see him randomly react like for three seconds to the news that Romano died. Okay. I actually thought that was really appropriate. <laughs> I thought that was. It was, but I, I, I was so afraid I, that they were going to do this big emotional moment where he's like heartbroken to find out or, or like that he, you know, whatever. Like it just placed this undue significance for for a guy who that who Carter didn't interact with that much. And when he did, it usually wasn't pleasant. So like it's actually played perfectly, in my opinion, where he sits there and he goes, oh, Romano died. And somebody, I think it's Kem, goes like, was he a friend of yours? And he goes, no. And just moves on. Like It's actually <laughs> it's actually really well done. I have to give them credit for that. Yep. Uh, and then we transition to the morning with Let It Snow playing in the background at the clinic. Um, everyone is opening their presents. And he grabs a present for a three-year-old boy and two other gifts. And he takes them into the choir part of the clinic where Celine and her children are. And her son has not woken up this morning, and Carter says it's unlikely he will wake up at this point. And uh, this is this is fucked up. What happens next? This this messed me up, and it just it feels too much. Um, Carter offers to open the present for the little boy, and it's a little pristine, brand new Tonka truck. And um, they set it right next to him, this dying very sick little boy with this new Tonka truck next to him and then to make it worse Carter lifts his hands hand up and puts it on the truck as if that's going to save Christmas and it's just it's so fucked up this was for some reason this was too much uh and then this is where I thought the end of the episode was going to be is uh Carter and Celine both kind of softly crying and saying Merry Christmas to each other over the little boy I thought this was the end of the episode right here it does seem a little trauma porny. It's it does. It's a little too a, trauma a porny. All right. Well, let's wrap up this episode with an audio clip. Uh, we're be- we go back to Carter and Kim opening their Christmas gifts. They were mine when I was little. There's more. you to come back to the states with me i want our baby to be born in america i have to go back that um package the envelope from the law firm that you were asking me about I used to get them every few months, then it was every few weeks, now it's every few days. Uh, It's just something that I have to take care of. Are you in some kind of trouble? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, it's nothing like that. Um, My grandmother died nine months ago, and I have to settle her estate. Just some financial things that I have to deal with. I kind of ran away after she died. Run away from what? Myself. (laughs) Responsibility. Um, It's hard to explain. I wasn't happy. Something was missing in my life. (laughs) I can't leave. My work is here. It's my life, you know? I know. I don't expect you to leave forever and come for a couple weeks, a month, two. Meet my friends. See my life there. I get the best prenatal care. Mm-hmm. Your program's up and running. You got a great staff. They'll be okay without you for a while. How long do you have to stay? I don't know. We'll figure it out together. was missing in my life isn't missing anymore. 
my dude. Six weeks. Have some fucking chill, my dude. Six weeks. I've had colds that have hung on longer for this relationship. Like, <laughs> you you can't, don't be saying shit like that. Don't be, uh, oh, what was missing in my, shut up. Just shut up. Shut the fuck up. Kem, why is Kem not running? Yeah, that's a red flag. Must be the beard. It's the, like, the SNL skit. Red flag. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, and that's again, like like I said earlier, like the the soap opera e writing of this thing where they, if it's convenient for the story or if it makes a nice moment, they make their character stupid, and they're both smarter than this. Like they're both mm-hmm. Carter. Now I will say Carter is much more prone to like emotional outbursts let's call them like this you know flights of fancy yeah like he's much more likely to say some stupid shit like this but it's it's the fact that she just kind of goes doughy-eyed and just kind of takes it is like oh honey like you're you're better than this you're smarter than this so it's you're you're better than this as a person yeah as an actor yeah so I mean, it's a, it's a Christmas episode, you know, like we can add it to the, the great pantheon of forgettable Christmas episodes of ER. Like, I don't know. This one's not forgettable. It's not bad. But it's also not great either. Like, it's it exists in this weird middle ground where it's like, this isn't, this definitely isn't a great Christmas episode because it's kind of depressing. Yeah. I did not like this episode at all. Nope. I'm just going to straight up and say it. I did. I think it's a five out of ten episode. Yep. Six for me. I think it just go, it goes way too heavy-handed with the political stuff, which... I, oh, mean, I don't care about that. I mean, but I'm just saying, like, to the detriment of, like, we could be doing other things with the story here. Sure. Like, once is fine, but the fact that they go back to it and do it for another, like, three or four minutes is, mm. like... Yeah. It's a bit much. I get it. Yeah. And setting up Carter as the white savior and the whole, I just hate it. I hate him and Kem. I need it to stop. I need it to be done. It's not going to be done for a long, for a while, and there's going to be a lot of bad, sad soap opera bullshit because no one can have nice things on this show. And yeah, I mean that yeah. that's really the, that's really the thing that I dislike about it the most is that there's a there's a whole episode in there that we're going to have to cover that I accidentally covered with Jake on a fucking flashboard uh, yep. that. that uh, <laughs> I remember kinda, that kind of killed the concept forever because it's like, oh, you might spin the wheel and accidentally land on a dead baby episode. You know, like it's there's a yeah, there's you know, so it's like that's the part that I'm not looking forward to. I'm I'm still I'm still of the opinion that these episodes were uh, a noble effort. Let's put it that way, like that they were the right thing to do at the time and the geopolitical landscape of the world in 2003 like they were they were the right thing to do at least as an effort and I but I will say though that I think three episodes in it has been a little bit of diminishing returns like Kissing Ghani was good for what it was uh The Lost was still good for what it was but a little less so and a little bit more heavy-handed and now with with this one with Makemba, like it it's it's even more heavy. This one, handed. it's more. This we one, get, we get it, people. This one felt the most trauma porny. Yeah, like it was. Yeah, definitely the 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 stuff with the little boy and like driving home. Like this was this was almost like that song. Like, don't they know it's Christmas? Like the 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 Bob Geldof song. Like his who he himself has has come out and been like, yeah, I was wrong about that. That was a little that was a little much <laughs> like you know and maybe maybe john wells with the benefit of 20 years of hindsight maybe he would think oh yeah maybe that was a little much maybe i should have you know eased off the gas just a little bit but like i don't know it, it's it was a noble effort but i will say that that by this point we do need a break from a good long break from which i think we're getting i believe because i don't think we revisit africa again until Pratt goes. I could be wrong about that, but maybe you should go to Africa. Oh, I know you didn't just say yeah, that. Like we we just we just need a good we need a good long break from that stuff just to kind of let it breathe a little bit and get some space from it. And I think having Kem go to Chicago is sort of a smart way to do that because I do think again she's a positive addition for the character of Carter and like will bring out some good development in that character. Um, but we need to get them out of Africa to do that. Like we need to get them back into Chicago to do that. So 
Five out of ten, six out of ten. What'd you give it, Daniel? Six and a half. You know, like I, I'm, I'm yeah. not a fan of. I, I've, I've gone on record before saying I'm not a fan of of Christmas episodes in general. Anyway, I find most of them disposable and like not interesting. Whereas this one at least tries to do something interesting and tries to to say something. It just does it in a really kind of like beat you over the head with it kind of way yeah. that it's you know i almost i almost wish we had benton's magic black man from you know season oh season three or whatever like give me give me something a little bit more hallmark Ooh. card you know disposable ish because Schmaltzy. yeah like this yeah. this is too bleak but lauren what the listeners have to say about it all right we'll see if i can do this without tapping out uh at simply swooning says carter's got a girlfriend carter's got a girlfriend carter's got a girlfriend not a blonde this time honestly i think that's honestly that's what i think of when i think of this episode i try to remember that the hiv aids crisis in africa was at its peak during the early 2000s and therefore the storyline probably felt way more current than it does 20 years later As far as the Africa episodes go, I feel it's the weakest one because although the portrayal of the crisis and suffering is well done, nothing to me feels like it hits hard enough to carry the point. Maybe because it's undercut with two healthcare professionals having unprotected sex, not to mention the socio-political commentary that at times seems sanctimonious. The whole whirlwind falling in love forged in the fire and disaster thing is too too on the nose. I'm very pro-chem, and I can't stand the vitriol she gets, but I think they should have worked her in over multiple episodes. She's meant to be Carter's great love, and this feels like it needed more time to flourish and be appreciated. Uh, Tandue and Noah have good chemistry, the best of any Carter pairing, and it's a shame we didn't get more of it before it takes a turn. But also at this point, I'm completely indifferent to Carter's presence at all. I feel like this could have been his farewell, and that would have been fine. Also, if you break up with someone via letter, the best gift you can give them is to fuck off. Anything else seems like a dick move. I'm going 5.2 on this one, I think. Um, At username11 says, I think if we had a little more of Carter fighting his own feelings about Kem instead of just sitting there making googly eyes at her and giving in to the throes of passion, it really could have shown his growth since that ill-advised letter. But my dude never learns. He just got out of a year-long relationship with one woman because reality didn't meet the expectations, and it's as if he's hot in high school moving on from one infatuation to the next. It's the same with having the medication shipped in for his patient or not realizing the limitations of recommending formula for her baby. I say this all the time, his heart is in the right place, but it still feels like we're spinning our wheels and he just can't see a bigger picture. Has, he even has a hard time seeing his mistakes after they've been pointed out to him. At least he's consistent. And on a shallow note, I do like the longer hair and beard on him, but if the show is literally going to make him look like Jesus, it's not doing itself any favors dispelling the white savior narrative of this arc. And last but certainly not least, we have at Dr. Kate. I probably already missed the deadline because I've been so busy with getting ready for Christmas. But here are a few of my thoughts about this episode. I think this is the first time an episode has been named completely after a character. We have had episodes that are a play on a character's name, but I think it's the first that is just named after a character. I just got that. Good job. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Sorry, my idiocy aside, continue. Oh, I remember watching this episode live and realizing that I would need to watch it more than once to actually catch all the details. We get the timeline markers from old county scenes, but we also get them from Celine and her kids. She's initially six months pregnant, and by the end her baby is getting older. We also see her son's HIV become AIDS and him on his deathbed. I was kinda young when I first watched this episode, but I remember viscerally learning that some non-Americans truly don't care for America, and that Carter votes for Democratic candidates. That was surprising to me, to be honest, lol. Uh, finally, while I think this episode has some issues, I actually do think it does a nice job of laying the foundation of Carter and Kem. I liked learning about the work that Kem did and her willingness to call Carter on and his bad behavior. Looking forward to reliving this storyline. All right, and before I get into the plugs, uh, I just want to extend a very heartfelt thank you for all the well for all the uh, condolences and whatnot we've been getting for uh, my mom. So uh, it's been an extremely hard holiday season without her so far, and 
your th your thoughts and wishes are they 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 do not fall on deaf ears. We appreciate. It. Well, I appreciate it. my my I appreciate it. My dad appreciates it. Is yeah. good, fam. Is good, fam. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our episode for today, though. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast, where for the low price of only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and over 75 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form multi-bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and character retrospectives where we reflect on departed main cast members. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, and we are at podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Sight the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel Work. Folks, find you at... They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can find me forgetting to post on social media because I'm too busy uh, reading all of the X-Men comics that my friends keep giving me and learning how to knit. Okay. Um, I haven't posted on social media in weeks and weeks, possibly months even. So screw that. Uh, thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.